الجزيرة بودكاست Would you rob a bank? Well, hang on before you answer. Maybe I should tell you this. What if it was to get your own hard-earned savings back? You see, there's been another bank heist in Lebanon and it's becoming a bit of a trend. Hey guys, welcome to the Essential Middle East podcast. I'm Sami Zaydan. A series of bank holdups across Lebanon in just a few hours. Depositors armed and demanding their money, their accounts since the financial crisis began in late 2019. So why aren't banks giving people their money? Lebanon is in the grip of a massive economic crisis that has prompted banks to impose draconian restrictions on withdrawals. People desperate to get hold of their savings have now taken drastic action. One of the latest heists was by an armed woman. Sally Hafiz, armed with a handgun. She was accompanied by activists who threatened bank employees before she was given $13,000 from her account. In this country, this is the only way to get our money back. We didn't steal this money. We worked hard to earn it. Let's bring in our guest now to talk more about this. Hi, everyone. My name is Nizar Ghanem, and I'm the director of research at Triangle, a think tank in Beirut, and I'm also a founding member of the Depositors Union in Lebanon. Delighted to have you with us. Nizar, first of all, what do we call this phenomenon? Armed robbers or forced withdrawals? I don't know what the right term is, because they're not taking anyone else's money, right? This is not your average bank robbery. Well, you know, Riyad Salemi, head of our central bank, said at the beginning of the crisis that it is an exceptional situation. Nobody seems to know exactly what to do with it. The judges can't find a legal term for it. I think that one of the judges said that it was getting back one's right by the use of force, which is a, actually, it seems a legal term in Lebanon. I don't know who's more out of control here. The people walking into banks with guns or the corrupt politicians telling bankers to take people's money. Yeah, you know, exactly. I think it's the beginning of the crisis. You know, what the politicians did and central bank, they did a kind of this policy of multiple exchange rates, which basically meant that there are different values for the dollar. And through that policy, the banks managed to, like, rob around $17 billion for the past three years out of the small depositors' money and smuggle around $7 billion, I think, to Switzerland and Europe. Ouch. So when logic goes out the window, why ask me to be the only sane guy in the room kind of thing, yeah? Exactly. I think that the people who are entering the banks right now is they lost all hope. And I think the people know and they understand by now that they're being, sorry, excuse my word, screwed. And so they're retaliating. And they're retaliating in the same way, actually, the banks are doing it by inverting the law. So the banks invert the law by actually saying, well, we're not bankrupt. We haven't stopped paying, but we only will pay fresh dollars. So if you have fresh dollars, we pay you fresh dollars. They're inventing, actually, a new kind of economics. A member of the IMF told me in a meeting, in the world, there's something called futures. People bargain about the future of a a stock. In Lebanon, it's the opposite. Right, you're basically betting on what the future value is going to be. 
of a stock or asset. Yeah? Exactly. Well, in Lebanon, we're betting over the, the future haircut of your deposits. You have $100,000 in the bank. You could give it away at 20K, at 20,000 fresh. So it's a given you're going to lose money. The question is kind of, okay, how much are we going to lose? It's basically crippled, the local currency losing its value under the debt situation. The debt to GDP ratio ain't looking pretty, right? Yeah, exactly. I mean, we, before the crisis, we were already 150% debt to GDP. We're witnessing hyperinflation. The lira is now, I think, 38,000. For a dollar, it used to be 1,500. At the same time, there's more than 80% of the Lebanese under poverty line. Listen, the people are not going to the bank to get money because they want to buy a Rolls Royce here. Exactly. Most of them actually have really family tragedies. Either they lost all their savings. This girl that entered the other day, this woman that entered the other day that made bank heist, her sister had cancer. I know we keep hearing about these stories that they're trying to pay for a sick relative who needs an operation or something. It's tragic. Yeah, and I think that for me, what is happening in Lebanon, in economy, we call it elite capture. Basically, the minority of the Lebanese have taken over the state, the judges, and 1% of the depositors have 50% of the value of the deposits. So basically, we're speaking about a minority 1% that has taken Lebanon hostage and refuses to actually go into an IMF deal because this would mean changing the political economy of the country, meaning we're gonna witness a whole toppling of the elites of Lebanon. And they don't want that. So they're kind of stopping the birth of the Third Republic. Many people say that right now we're at the birth of the Third Republic. The elite does not want that because it knows that the future Lebanon, that we want at least, is not gonna be good for them. So they would like to eat us alive, similar to the Greek mythology. The father eats his sons and in the middle of the night, I think they burst out and try to kill him. Are we going to see more of this going on then as the elites try to hold on and push the haircut to the people? People are going to go more and more to the bank, toy guns, and say, give me my stuff. I think it all depends on what's going to happen in the next month. So basically, we're at a crossroads. The government has placed a new recovery plan on the table. We as Depositors Union, we believe that it's in the right direction in the sense that it's actually ticking most of what we've always demanded. The problem is that the devil lies in the details. They're trying to, the banks are pushing for more loopholes. And some of the banks also like are pushing for the complete reversal of the plan, pushing for their own plan, which is similar to Argentina, basically. Let's continue with the status quo, a shadow financial plan. Let's push most of the costs to the people and let's sell the state assets. So I think in the next month, we're gonna see a lot of political bickering around this plan. I just hope that we can push for a plan that would basically lift Lebanon out of this in five, six years, get something like Greece, like Cyprus. It's a macroeconomic stabilization framework that could, in a sense, restructure the Lebanese banks. We have 60 banks. It should be four or five maximum. And I think Lebanon has a chance, if we do that, to get out of this because we have a good human capital. We have a good industrial base. If we actually use this financial crisis to our benefit, Let's clarify one point. Public opinion right now is with the guys going to banks with guns, right? Every time that happens, you see like protests pro the bank robber outside banks cheering for him or her, right? The bank robbers now are like Ruben Hood in Lebanon. I'll be interested to see art pieces about this or even anthropological studies later on movies. 
the idea of the robber in frontier in the Wild West, it speaks about what a, a liminal society in a state of flux. And this is exactly what Lebanon is now. We have practically no electricity, no water. Our government is in shambles. And basically the judiciary is not in fashion these days. <laughs> so it is a liminal society. And the archetype, I think, of the robber is definitely spreading like fire in the imagination of the people. Because, as I said, we're living in an inverted society. Nothing is normal in the country. Look, you've made some good points, but we do need to take a quick break now, okay? We'll be right back, though, guys. Stay with us. Hello, I'm Charles Dance, your narrator for Hindsight, an original podcast by Al Jazeera. In season four, we carry on exploring the lives of history's most notable figures, from Rosa Parks to Pol Pot. We meet the people who changed the way we think about our world and those who left it marked by their infamy. Hindsight from Al Jazeera, wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, welcome back, guys. So we spoke a little bit about what the problem is and what's happening, but what about the legality of it all, Nizar? There's no law that actually allows officials to take people's savings, is there? So it's interesting. Everything in Lebanon is about loopholes. So you have a law, but there's always something in the details that, that people use. The escape clause. The escape clause. <laughs> so for the Lebanese law, if the bank stops paying, he's directly called bankrupt, like anywhere in the world. But what the banks did was it said, no, we didn't stop paying. We just stopped paying money supply one, meaning anything that we call Lawler, anything before 2019, we're not going to pay. So now, according to the Lebanese law, they haven't stopped paying. They just stopped paying some of the deposits. And so they argued that they're not bankrupt. Now, what the people did, the bank robbers are doing, is they go inside the bank and they put a gun and they're like, okay, pay me my savings. And when they get their savings, they make the bank write a letter saying, I just paid you $20,000 of your savings. So when they go back to the judge, and this happened twice, we defended it in the Depositors Union. It's fascinating because the judge says to the bank, I mean, why didn't you pay this person his savings? Have you stopped paying? And the banks would always refuse to say that because if they do that, the law of money and credit in Lebanon will be applied which means that the bank will be restructured. The bank will be declared bankrupt and restructured? The bank will definitely then be declared bankrupt, and they don't want that. So what ends up happening is that they make a negotiation with the bank robber, and they give him part of, or her, part of the savings. So how worried should people be about keeping cash in banks? Nobody trusts the banks anymore after what happened. And I think internationally speaking, it's the same thing with everything going on with the euro, with the war in Ukraine with all the tensions with Russia, and I wouldn't be surprised that we have another banking crisis in the world. But I think new solutions are being made, right? Like the Bitcoin is in Lebanon as well. There's a big drive to invest in that. And many people are mining. Well, the UN says almost two thirds of the population are living under the poverty line. I mean, that is unsustainable to keep people cut off from their savings, in, especially in a situation where inflation is 281% or something like that. Exactly. But you know, that what's going on is as well as like Lebanon is becoming more and more a cash society and there's lots of informality. Huh? So Lebanon historically was a tax haven. So there are a lot of also criminal networks. 
that use Lebanon as a way to clean their money from Africa to Latin America. I mean, somebody told me that Somali pirates have an account in Lebanon. So I think that the Lebanese have a lot of cash. Many of them now, like, this is when they get remittances from abroad, they stash it at home. The banks are purely like OMT, like they're just cash transfer company now. You represent the depositors, right? And I'm wondering then, do you have a dialogue going on with the government about what to do? What are they saying to you? How do they plan to deal with this? We had a conversation, not uh, actually the IMF. They're pushing the government now to talk more to civil society. We think that it's going in the right direction in principle. The IMF proposal, you think that can help? It's going in the right direction? In principle, yes, because it wants to do a couple of things. It wants to restructure the debt, the public debt, and haircut parts of it, the unsustainable parts of the public debt. It wants also to do a protective floor. It will save all the savings up to $100,000 will be protected with this plan. And it does also bank restructuring. It agrees, at least in principle, that the banks are bankrupt. Many politicians believe, yeah, the banks are not bankrupt. It's the state that is bankrupt, and we need to sell its assets to save the banks. Do you think the politicians will push through, though? Because they've been asked for reforms and changes and restructuring and so on before, haven't they? Yeah, we don't trust them. Most of the politicians have shares in the banks. Our prime minister right now, he has shares in one of the banks. Our old prime minister owned a whole bank. Bank Med, for example. So there's a complete conflict of interest. And we say in Arabic, Haniha Haramiha, right? Like the one who's protecting the sheep is eating them. And that's what our politicians are doing. They have a vested interest in saving the banks, which, funny enough, is also their own banks. Are you going after people in some of the political factions, or who are we talking about? We're talking like all banks' shareholders and owners, basically. We've placed them on a sanctions list in addition to the politicians, which we believe have been sabotaging the reforms in Lebanon. And we've been pushing for imposition of sanctions internationally. We've sent even letters to, I think, some 70 embassies. We've went to Brussels, went to Germany. We've been lobbying for that. I'm curious, what kind of response do you get to that kind of message? Some of it is positive. It's a long-term battle. What is the cause of all of this? Why did it get so complicated in Lebanon? You know, so many players, so many cooks. You have Iranians, you have the Americans, you have the Europeans, you have the Turks. Every empire that would like to become an empire or extend its imperial legacy under the sun has to come to Lebanon. So we have lots of players. There's 18 sects in Lebanon. There's 18 religions. We're divided. We're like Switzerland, made of many different cultural groups. And we don't like really each other. The political situation in Lebanon is very fragmented. It leads to all of this. What's the solution then to this economic crisis? I think technically we know what's the solution. It's already been said many times and it's through an IMF framework. However, it's a political decision. And the political decision is whoever rules the country, we need to decide as a society who's more important. Are the banks more important or the middle class and the syndicates and the working class? So far, I mean, in the balance of power, and it's a social balance of power, the banks and at least the 1% has won the battle, or the battles for the past three years. We've taken some gains, but it's not enough to tip the balance of power and enforce our vision of a new Lebanon. Well, a final question here, briefly. How do you think this is going to end? I think a politician in the 60s said Lebanon is the land of the always resolved crises. So we're always in a perpetual crisis, but we will get a solution. I think the solution is going to happen a mix of both. There must be a local settlement, but there must be a regional settlement as well that pushes a new vision for the country. 
maybe like a Saudi-Iranian agreement, an American-Iranian agreement as well, that really resets the kind of vision for the country. Let's face it, Lebanon would never have been an independent country without the British and the French and Sykes-Picot and the whole hundred years of trauma that we've been living. So it's too wrapped up in international and regional politics, yeah? And also the local ones as well. It's all together because every local politician here has a backup is backed by some regional power. Look at Hezbollah, it's a regional force, it's not just Lebanese. And also the networks, the business networks that operate from Lebanon. So, you know, solution is not a thermal. we can do it, but it will take some time. On that happy note, we can do it, but it'll take time. I'm gonna thank you for your time. Thanks, Nizar. Thank you so much, it was a pleasure being here. Thanks for listening, everyone. This episode was produced by Khaled Sultan. Sound design was by George Elwir. Our engagement producer is Ayel Malik and assistant engagement producer is Munira Dosari. Our executive producer, Omar Saleh. Al Jazeera's head of audio is Ney Alvarez. I'm your host, Sami Zaydan. Thanks for listening. Listener.